All right, guys, thanks for listening to today's show. I'm Ben. I'm Eric. And this is the Double Hall Podcast. All right, guys, thanks for listening. Uh, today we're in the studio, the Double Hall studio, with uh, Eric Kobuck and a new guest today. We have Jacob Graham. Now, last time I introduced a guest, Eric kind of got on my case a little bit because I basically said everything that the person had ever done uh, with Levi. If you haven't listened to that episode, you should go listen to it. So I'll try to keep a little bit more mysterious today, but uh, but we have Jacob Graham. Jake, you have a uh, what's, what's your Instagram in case people want to see what you're all about? Yeah, my Instagram is AK Instagram. It's A-K-I-N-S-T-A. G R A H A M. Because your last name is Graham. My right? last name's Graham. Yeah. That's oh, awesome. Clever. Yeah. So I met Jake years ago, and um, this is super annoying. I think it got annoying pretty quick. More for Jake, and a little bit for me too. But we both worked at a State Farm years ago, and so obviously he was Jake from State Farm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, How- I was required to wear khakis every <laughs> day. Yeah. How many times a day do you think people were like, "Is this really Jake from oh, State Farm?" At least ten. That is it, That's hilarious. That is super annoying. It was that like, annoying? Or was it just funny? It was kind of. It was definitely funny for the with the right person if okay. they could go along with it. But right, yeah. it, it could be pretty annoying. Yeah, especially after like a kind of a bad day. I feel right. like it's just like okay. Yeah. yeah. I think I'm wearing jeans. But not casual khakis. Friday. <laughs> um, well, cool. So, Jake, how old are you? I'm 32. And what do you do for a living now? Because you're no longer Jake from State Farm. Uh, I've done a lot of things, but right now I'm a pilot for ace air cargo sweet what do you fly i fly a beach 1900 okay so for people out there who don't know what a beach 1900 is they're thinking of like you know post civil war oceanfront property so it's a 19 passenger twin engine uh airplane (laughs) that uh can go to twenty five thousand feet. It's Sweet, pressurized. It's pressurized. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. What? So when you're flying around Alaska, where where like, what's your normal, everyday common flight? How long? Where to? You know. Uh, it really, um, it, it's all over the place. So uh, the last ten days, I've been flying to Southeast. So I'll fly to Ketchikan first, and then I'll um, fly to Petersburg, Wrangell, and then I'll go to Sitka, Juneau. And um, sometimes we'll do Yakutat, Cordova. But then we also go to the chain. So we'll go to Dutch Harbor, Sandpoint. Wow. Um, yeah, we, so we go all over the place. And Where's your favorite place to fly and then kind of stay stay the night and hang out? Uh, so with this job, we don't stay the night anywhere. We always come back to Anchorage. Huh, and okay. even though I wake up at 1.30 in the morning <laughs> and fly and for uh, 12 to 14 hours um, for my work day, I, I come home every day, so it's, okay. it's kind of nice. But um, when I was working for my last company, Hagland, I would, uh, I'd stay in either Kotzebue, uh, Bethel, St. Mary's, any, any of those villages. And I really uh, – I stayed in Nome, and I think Nome was my favorite for a work base. Hmm. Uh, there was just a lot of things to do. They had a great gym, some cool places to fly. St. Lawrence Island right next to Russia was really neat. Um, but as far as like flying for fun in a cub out staying somewhere, I think anywhere away from town. Yeah. Yeah. If you can find a place that has a little breeze away from the mosquitoes, um, yeah. that's all I need. A river and a fly rod. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. So are you from Alaska? 
I'm not from Alaska. I wish I could say yes. Uh, so I was born in San Diego, California. Um, spent the first couple years of my life there. Thankfully, I moved here when I was seven. Oh, okay. Yeah, my, my mom was a teacher, and she got a job in the school in Whittier, right behind that giant building everybody lives in. And I was, uh, I spent three, four years there. And my dad was a uh, piano uh, tuner, restoration, does anything piano pretty much. But his main job was still in California, so he'd come back and forth. But we lived in Whittier. And as a little kid, back then, there was no road. You had to drive your car onto a train, and the train would take you into Whittier. And from like 7 to 10, 11 years old, I I loved it. It was great. I uh, just had my bike and my fishing rod. I could go all over the place. So it was a, a, a very like quick introduction to Alaska, where I went from San Diego as a wow, little kid. Yeah. Now I'm living in this this town that you can't even drive to. Yeah, I've always wondered what it would be like to live there, because there's, there's just one huge apartment complex, right? For the yeah. most part, and that's where well, everyone the BTI. lives. That's yeah, crazy. there's an old one too that's like abandoned, right? Yeah, the Buckner and they just Building built a new one right beside it. Yeah, when I lived there, there's no fence around it, so you can go explore. Whoa. Wow. It's kind of creepy. That's, yeah, that is creepy. <laughs> so I just Googled the, uh, I mean, we've been to Whittier several times, and you wouldn't expect this few people to actually live there. The population as of last year was 318 people Yeah, live in that entire town. At any given moment in the summer, I feel like there's at least 1,000 people there, though. Oh, it's Put definitely boats a and, seasonal population yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah, we used to catch herring off the, um, the ferry dock and sell it to halibut charters. Oh, cool. Something to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I imagine there's not that many pianos in no. Whittier. And that, that business in Alaska just isn't really in ex- yeah. existence, so he's still down there doing that. Yeah. That's pretty cool. But so, yeah, that's how I got to Alaska. Thankfully, okay. after that um, time, we moved to Eagle River, and I grew up for most of my life. Eagle okay. River, went to Chugiak High School, went to UAA. Okay. Yeah. What'd you, uh, what'd you study when you were at school in UAA? Oh, I changed my major so many times. <laughs> You're like, I studied everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I started with business because I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I was told you should go to college, so of course I went to college. Right, yeah. I feel um, like I made that same mistake. <laughs> looking back, what my I, I should have just became a pilot. That's what I've always wanted to do. Would you have <clears> done <throat> the UAA aviation program or... No, maybe if when I was younger, yeah, with not having too many options, yeah. But I did a so that's a part. Um, I, I did a part sixty one school, and um, that just allowed me to just go way faster. I did a lot later in life, but um, I think when anybody asks me, I recommend a sixty one because you can just do do it way faster. Yeah, yeah. I did all my ratings from uh, basically no time to multi engine commercial in ten months. And we're going to get there. So, yeah. yeah. But yeah. I, I don't want to jump the gun too right. soon. Yeah. Uh, wow, it's very unlike you. Good I job. know. I know. So, yeah. Look, I'm grown up. I'm grown up. <laughs> I'm sitting here. Uh, Staying on track. Wow. Yeah. I've just, uh, I'm just trying to be responsible. Um, so, you're at UAA and you're studying all kinds of stuff. And, um, and so, then what happened next? So, when I was at UAA, I was also working full time at a uh, car dealership. And my brother, <clears throat> the, decided to move to Texas and I've pretty much spent my whole life in Alaska and always thought about trying something else in a different state. So it was kind of my opportunity to leave 
to just try it out. So I, I moved to Texas. I shipped my motorcycle and I, uh, he lived in Nacogdoches and I, uh, picked up my motorcycle and just drove all over Texas looking for a place to live and go to school. And I ended up in Bryan, Texas college station. I went to a little community college called Blinn right next to Texas A&M. And I worked at an AT&T place and I would fly fish on the weekends for bass and go to school. And I quickly realized I absolutely hated the heat. I couldn't stand it. Um, <laughs> and there's no mountains and the fishing was just like a bass was a bass. It was, it was fun, but it was just, it wasn't Alaska. And I realized I should go back. And, um, I was always obsessed with fly fishing when I was a little kid. I, I got my first fly tying vice when I was like 12 and I'd go in the front lawn and just practice casting for hours a day until I got good and just kept practicing. And my mom would drop me off at rivers and I'd go fish for the day and she'd pick me up. And, uh, so I kept thinking about that when I was in Texas, like how much I love fly fishing in Alaska specifically and the fish that were up here. And, uh, I, from a young age, just always really fell in love with rainbow trout and I love catching salmon. It's great. And fill in the freezer. But if I could pick one thing, it'd be catch and release rainbow trout. Hey, and dude, our uh, listenership knows we have no problem about, you know, kind of, kind of dissing the salmon fishery a little bit. All right. That's a... <laughs> I mean, I mean, we both say like, hey, you know, we'll go out and catch a few salmon stuff, but it's kind of, it's just kind of dirty work. And the trout wouldn't be who they are without the salmon. That's right. I know. So, you know, yeah. We're all, we're all about catch and release and hooking up with fatty bows on, on fly. Oh, man. Yeah. I can't wait. It's soon. But, uh, yeah. So I was, I was thinking about basically all those things in Texas where I couldn't do any of those things. And I started researching, like, okay, how do I become a guide? Because I always thought about that. And uh, living in Texas, not being locally in Alaska at the time, it made it kind of tough. And then I found, um, I mean, my favorite fly rod company that I'd really always fished with was Sage. So I just sent Sage an email, like a, their customer service, a generic email that just said, this is who I am, this is where I'm living, this is where I'm from, and this is what I want to do. I want to be a fly fishing guide that specializes in rainbow and I, I'm not connected with any lodges. I don't have any prior experience, but I really want to get into this industry. What do I do? And do you have anybody that works in your office that would be willing to help me? And, uh, Oh man, what was the guy's name? Um, his name was Chris. I can't remember his last name, but, uh, he was like the VP of sales. So he emailed me back and really helped me out. He, so he was a guide for a place called Rapids Camp Lodge mm-hmm. on the Knack River. And um, he ended up connecting me. And the owners of Rapids Camp lived and owned um, a lot of real estate in Dallas, Texas. So we, we ended up connecting. I reached out to other lodges, but this was the lodge that just kind of made sense. Things were just lining up. And I thought, there's no way they're hiring somebody who lives in Texas, even though I have experience and um, a lot of time fishing for rainbows in Alaska. I've never guided. And I'm, I was young. I think I was 20 years old. Mm-hmm. And um, so I ended up driving up to Dallas and had an interview with the owners that are there in the summer. And uh, <clears throat> I thought it went pretty well. I had a, One of the owners was in Chile with uh, the other lodge that they own. So he was on a, like a Skype call. Oh, yeah. And um, on the drive home, they called me and offered me the job. Wow. So I was like, all right. Sweet. What Thank- was the interview like? What kind of questions did they ask you? 
Uh, it was more just like, uh, tell me about your experience fly fishing and tell mm-hmm. me like, what's your favorite thing to do? And they asked kind of proficiency of casting they didn't really care if I was a good caster or not, or just that cardinal knowledge of, have you done it before? And right. would you be a, a good person to take these people on a river? And, um, do you have a captain's license? And I didn't at the time, but I was really close. So I finished that up before I started working that summer. Mm-hmm. The, just the freshwater six pack They're Yeah. They're for some reason, super confident that I'd be a great guide. <laughs> That's awesome. And I was really thankful because now I had a way out of Texas and, uh, I don't know, to do something I've always wanted to do. And, I kind of knew it wouldn't be a long-term career, but just at the time in my life and that age and what I'd loved, it was perfect. Yeah. So I finished up, finished up the Coast Guard license and came back home and I still hadn't have any kind of degree. So I went back to UAA and said, this is all, these are all the classes I have. What can I do to get something moving again? So I signed up for business again. (laughs) (laughs) And then, uh, just kind of started down that road, went and, uh, went back to guiding or went to guiding and uh, got introduced while I was at the lodge to this thing called spay casting. And back in 2010, it was not a popular thing. Right. And through that summer, I I grew to love fly fishing for rainbows more, especially on the knack-knack where there's giant fish. And then also just the, the method of spay casting and how much line you can shoot and the water you can cover. Um, so just that kind of changed my perspective of fishing, but also changed my perspective of guiding. I, I loved doing it. I had some really great clients. Um, the lodge costs like 10,000 a week. Yeah. We had three, um, we had three float planes. Two of them were beavers. One was a turbine otter and the Whoa. other, we had another beaver on uh, 35 inch tundra tires. So a turbine otter. It was pretty sick. Turbine Otter on Amphibs. <laughs> oh my goodness. It was an incredible airplane. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah, so I think that summer was like the pivotal point in my life where it's like, okay, I love fishing. I don't think I love guiding. And I love flying. I know I love yeah. flying. And I've always loved the outdoors. Let me ask you something real quick. Did they ever fly? Was it at red, the Turbine Otter? It was white. Okay. White with a red stripe. Uh, maybe I've seen that. I think I, think I saw... Uh, a float uh, turbine otter. I thought it was red and white, but maybe it was more white than red on a Leknagik on oh, the lake one day. It, it so totally, might have been that it same could one. Be. Yeah. I mean, it, there's not that many. Man, we flew all over the place. We That's such a cool plane. Katmai, we, we they actually had two ocean boats in Geographic Harbor, so we'd take the otter and go halibut fishing. Yeah. Um, Basharov, Ugashik, um, Iliamna, everything down well, there. Let me accessible. ask you this real quick. Yeah. Would you rather... Okay, fly a triple seven for FedEx, and you know make that money. A lot of money. That cheddar, or would you rather? <laughs> or would you rather get paid? I don't know, fifty thousand dollars to fly a turbine otter around Western Alaska on amphibs. Uh, give me the triple seven job. I'll buy my own otter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, there you go. Yeah. Might take a few years. Yeah, it might take a few years. Yeah. All right. Well, that's pretty cool. So then, how how many years were you at the lodge? I was only there for one season. Yeah. Yeah. So was I, it was it a really good experience? As good as you thought? Yeah. I mean, it's really hard work. Yeah. Um, 
there's really no days off. So you'd guide for six and you'd have one day at the lodge and the day at the lodge was spent washing vehicles and mowing the lawn and doing chores around and uh, packing fish. Yeah. But uh, one amazing thing about this lodge is they allowed you to take the boats and they didn't care about fuel. They provided fuel. So once everything was done at the end of the day, like you could, all the guides could go out and just have fun. So we'd go, we'd run up a river and go spay cast for giant trout yeah, and go cool. catch fish. And it was, I got to experience what people were paying $10,000 for and I didn't have to pay anything. Yeah. You got yeah. paid to do it. I got paid to do That's it. Sweet. Yeah. And the, $4 the, an hour, man. Yeah. But <laughs> some, some clients were great. Some weren't. And I, I kind of realized guiding was in my, in my experience was like, it was just glorified babysitting. Yeah. So some people really cared, um, about the fish, the resource and, um, actually putting in the work to try and, um, catch a big fish. And some didn't care and some have never fished before and they just wanted a vacation and they'd sit on the, the bank and drink. And so that was tough to deal with. Cause you're in like the most amazing trout fishery in the entire yeah. world. You just want to strangle somebody. It's like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, you don't even know. Give me your, give me your rod. I'll, I'll go fish. Exactly. Yeah. I'm sure you had plenty of people give you the rod for a minute. I mean, without you oh, asking. Yeah, absolutely. That happens all the time. Yeah. Like. I had a couple of people just say here, you fish. You I wanna, fish. I want to see you cast. I want to see what you can do. So that was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I mean, I, you just throw your back cast right into the tree. <laughs> Jake doesn't yeah, do that. No. Um, all right, cool. So you did one season there guiding and uh, had a good experience. So then you get back to old A-Town, I assume. Or, or did you you were living in Texas then still? Or did, yeah, did you I moved, move? I moved okay, back. you moved back. Yeah, I was living with mom in Eagle River. Sweet. So you get back to cent- South Central Alaska, back home. And, and then what did you do? Um, that, uh, so I got back in September, so I couldn't go back to school. So I really just fished on my own. I fished the Kenai quite a bit, and then a bunch of guides met up in uh, Baja, California, and Mexico. Spend all that that guide money. No, that's another cool thing. The lodge owner paid for a, no way. Oh paid goodness. for all like we had to pay for the like the flight down. Yeah, but he rented this giant Airbnb and what? chartered boats. And did you catch so, a rooster fish? Oh yeah, rooster fish from what? the shore was the funnest. That is crazy. Thing I've ever done. Like you sight fishing him. Yeah, you're sprinting down the beach, double hauling as much line as you can That's out. That's crazy. On like a eight weight or like bigger? Uh, I think I had an 11 weight because I just brought one fly rod and it was meant for Dorado sailfish yeah. marlin. Dang, and, dude. You remember uh, what it was? What? What kind of rod it was? It was Sage. You remember the model? I don't know. I feel like they come and go so fast. It was a saltwater rod. Yeah. Yeah, it, um, it was great. I ended up hooking a couple Dorado in it with it. And, um, the, the rooster fish weren't that big, so I could have used a way lighter rod, but just rooster fish with a bait bust and in the surf and running up and down. It, it's an action packed. Yeah. It sounds pretty cool. (laughs) It's so fun. I've seen some guys like cruise the beaches on the, on like four wheelers. I mean, that would have been nice. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty sweet. You can cover some ground. Yeah. I really want to go back. We, we stayed in Los Bariles. Yeah, I did. Just North of Cabo. Well, dude, the double hall is bringing in tons of cash. Maybe we can just do a remote trip. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, I'm down. <laughs> if only that were true. <laughs> well, that sounds cool. So then, so eventually you made your way into law enforcement. How did that happen? Yeah, so I took that semester off and just fished. Came back from Mexico. Went back to UAA for that spring semester. And 
while I was a guide, I... Are you still going to UEA now? No, thankfully okay. not. <laughs> he just keeps coming back. That, that, He's like, that, I'm kind of thinking about it. That part's over. I, <laughs> I took 10 years to get a four-year degree. Close the door on that. <laughs> so I, uh, yeah, that spring I went back to school, and while I was a guide, I got checked quite a bit by this wildlife trooper in King Salmon on the on the knack-knack. I couldn't even tell you his name. Um, but I remember just thinking, he, got a, he has a cool job. He's got to be on the river. He gets paid to... Like basically do what I'm doing, but doesn't have to deal with clients and he's not fishing. But I just thought that would be more of a career than the guiding. And uh, so I submitted an application and it was, uh, a lot of people told me that it takes two, three, four times of applying to get hired. And at the time, I think I was, I think I was 21 years old and, um, they started calling me. I went through the interview process, went through all the background checks and kept progressing in, in the process. And they offered me the job. Um, so I was, I was really young, didn't think I was going to get it and wasn't planning on getting it. So then I went back to my advisor at UAA and said, okay, I, what can I get any kind of degree? Can I get an associates in anything from all these classes I've taken? So I got an associates in general studies. <laughs> so I could put on my resume. I have an associate's degree. Yeah. Um, went to the Trooper Academy um, in, on July 31st, 2011, and never looked back for uh, guiding. I I thought uh, it was the reason. I think it was a huge reason I got hired on as a wildlife trooper. Right. Uh, typically, you get hired on as a blue shirt patrol. Mm-hmm. Right. Then, yeah. That's what then, I was gonna ask. I thought. I thought you didn't get to like choose. I thought you had a yeah, you sign that while you went through your basic course or something like that. Majority of the time, yeah, they okay. just they just give it to you as a patrol blue shirt, and then uh, unless you're an absolute stud, yeah. And then on on my resume, I I had a lot of outdoor experience huh. um, uh, with the guiding briefly, but just growing up here and my hobbies. It for some reason they asked me if if I wanted to go straight into being a wildlife trooper, and I said yeah. Sweet. So how many, how long did you do that for? Um, I just did it for two and a half years. Yeah. And so the first year you're a blue shirt, you, even though you're hired as a wildlife trooper, you, you go and do patrol work because as a, a brown shirt, um, wildlife trooper, you still have to do all the blue shirt stuff if you are required or need to. Mm-hmm. So I transitioned into the wildlife troopers and, um, after a year of blue shirt and I, I loved it. I love being outside. I, you don't really get much time off during hunting fishing season because that's when you're working, and I learned that the hard way. Yeah, that's a bummer. But I think all in all, I, I still realize, like, man, I love fishing. I love the outdoors. I love aviation. We got to take cubs up and get dropped off and do undercover like stuff. I'd sit in the bushes and watch people fishing and see it. <laughs> Whoa, really? <laughs> if, yeah, if guides were keeping kings and a, a no uh, retention area and – it was it was a lot of fun. I did. I got wow, to do some really cool fun. things. You got any good stories busting somebody or going crazy? Uh, I mean, I think the biggest biggest wildlife bust I ever had was that somebody poached a moose, and uh, well, they didn't really necessarily poach it. They shot an illegal moose, and then they drug it into the woods and hit it. They put branches on it and uh, drug it into the woods with a four wheeler and tried to hide it. Um, and thankfully, somebody else saw them do this and gave us a call on a sat phone. And those people who 
had uh, done the deed were on their four wheelers back to the parking lot. So I was about an hour and a half away and I just got there as quick as I possibly could. And right when I pulled into the parking lot, they were pulling into the parking lot from the trail and they had three very distinct four wheelers. Hopefully they're not one of your listeners. Well, <laughs> I, doubt <it. laughs> I doubt it, but, um, yeah, so I, I started talking to them and, uh, immediately separated them at, you don't let them talk um, so they can have the same story. Oh, yeah. Another trooper showed up, and we spent about three hours interviewing and interrogating them to see, like, what happened. And one of the guys I'd, I'd talked to a couple times prior that year, just checking um, hunters in the area, and he finally came clean and told me what he did, and he was really remorseful. <laughs> um, he so, said, please don't take my form. <laughs> yeah, so we ended up um, – we got a helicopter. R44 took us in, found the moose. Uh, we actually we got a bullet out of the moose. Um, so sent the bullet and the rifle to the crime lab. And uh, we ended up giving uh, the moose to the guy who called it in. Oh, nice. it, was, it was super remote. We we're going to donate the moose anyways. It was the last day of moose season. And this guy just basically saved this moose from rotting. Yeah. So, And he hadn't shot that wow. moose that year, so might as well give it to him. So if you could advise someone... Who might find themselves in that situation, shoots an illegal moose, what would you advise them to do? I mean, it happens. Yeah, it happens um, to people who have got a ton of experience um, hunting. But like, so if, if, if that happens, it could totally happen to me, it could happen to anybody. Um, so if you make the mistake and maybe you shoot the wrong moose. And uh the best thing to do is if you have a satellite communicator with you, a DeLorme, an inReach, sat phone, whatever, and you don't have cell phone service, message a buddy who can like message the tr- or get a hold of the troopers and say, "Hey, I think I fought, I shot an illegal or a sublegal moose or a sublegal sheep, whatever it is." Because if if you self-report, it's completely different than if you get caught. Mm-hmm. And um, so at at the very first opportunity you can get a hold of a trooper or law enforcement or fishing game to advise, like let them know what happened and that you shot something you don't think you should have shot, like do it. Cause then that's on record and that's going to be treated completely different. It, right. It'll probably just be a fine instead of a misdemeanor and losing your license. It's yeah, it's completely different. Yeah. I, yeah, it, it, it happens. So where were you stationed as a trooper? I was uh, in Palmer. Oh, yeah, I was okay. in Palmer the entire time. I feel like that's a pretty sweet spot. I feel like there's a lot oh, Palmer more remote was, places that you could be sent. Palmer was great. Yeah. Um I got to I got to do a lot of caribou hunting patrols on the Denali Highway with a, a with a trooper I highly respect. His name is John Simeon. He was a lot of fun to to work with. I was on the T V show with him a few times. And um, <laughs> yeah, I've seen this episode. It's funny where they like pull a prank on you. Yeah, I, so I'd been a trooper for an entire year, and then so then I started my wildlife trooper training. But I'm so I'm, I'm now the rookie again. Yeah, and yeah, they they played a prank on me. So tell, if tell you, us about that. So there's this, this guy shot two caribou, just like we were talking about with if you shoot a sublegal animal or the wrong animal. He, he accidentally shot two, so the bullet passed through one and hit the other. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it happens. Um, we get the call. We're already out there. We show up. We hike in and start looking at the scene, and we have, we have a metal detector looking for other bullets, and we only find one bullet 
And so I'm there with two other troopers and this trooper, his name's John has me dig through the gut pile to look for a gallbladder. He says it's a a sensitive item and we can't leave that here. Just like bears have gallbladders and they get sold for a lot of money on the black market. Um, I'm, I'm a young trooper and I don't know any better. Right. So, uh, I was told by my, uh, my trainer to do this. So I'm going to do it. So I start sure, digging yeah. through the gut pile and like, I guess, uh, learned the hard way that caribou don't have gallbladders <laughs> and no, no animal from the deer family have gallbladders. But, uh, so and that's you, on national geographic. Yeah. <laughs> you can watch that's that awesome. on a Alaska troopers. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I mean, if you, State if you Google no caribou guts, no glory, a National Geographic link will come up and it's like highlighted. Oh, really? That's oh, yeah. awesome. <laughs> it's out there oh, forever. That's awesome. I'm going to Google that later tonight. Yeah. <laughs> I watched another episode where Jake goes out uh, with a, might have been the same guy. And same, where, yeah, same guy. Where you're like, uh, some guy was squatting and built, had built like a little settlement. Man, that guy was living a dream. He was, it was like two miles off the road. And he built a le- like a legit log cabin. Had been living there for years, and it was really nice. And he just got away with living on state land for a long time. And it was uh, summertime, so he couldn't move everything out of there. So we gave him till the winter to move all his stuff out. Yeah, uh, yeah. He he was a really old guy. I learned that a couple <laughs> a couple years ago, he actually ended up passing away. Oh man. But yeah, we thought we might be getting to it into a little hostile situation. Right. Typically, people who live out in the middle of nowhere yeah. on state land don't want to see a trooper. Yeah, yeah, you guys were but, packing some heat. But yeah, we were we were we were really kind to the guy, and he was really kind to us, and understood. So, how was the whole camera crew following you around? How was that? It was it was really cool. Really, um, I had a camera crew when I was a guide for. I had two camera crews when I was a guide, so I kind of had an experience with somebody following me. Okay. And then with the troopers, it was just one one guy with the camera who rode along with me for a couple of days. And they were there for the academy briefly and then a couple of days when I was in town. But it was fun, but ultimately, like, you're responsible for them as well. So it's it just adds to the gravity of the situation if you're in a bad situation. Right. It was really cool being on the TV show briefly, but I don't think it was something I wanted to be featured on all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So what made you leave the troopers? I think I realized that law enforcement wasn't something I wanted to do long-term, even though being a game warden or being a wildlife trooper was a lot of fun and it encompassed a lot of my hobbies and passions. It just, the negativity of dealing with um, people breaking the law or just looking for that and focusing on the bad things just kind of, kind of weighed on me thinking about a long-term career in this and how it would affect a family and how it would affect me. Right. And how it influenced the decisions and the path of my life. I, I just, even though I made great money, I, um, and worked a four ten schedule and worked with some really great people. I, I just didn't want to, I just don't, yeah, I didn't want to be law enforcement forever. And I was, I wasn't getting any younger. So I figured if I'm going to cut the cord, it better be right now. And my brother works for state farm and it was an easy transition to another job, even though it's not what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. It was a, it was just the right timing to leave, and I do miss it. I've I've thought all the time about going back. Um, I I actually seriously thought about going back several times. Took the tests again. Went to went to the troopers and 
was going down that road, but I would kind of go back in my journals that I wrote when I was a trooper and on those, on those trips. And some of the, some of the days that weren't so great, like with the helicopter Hilo one crash. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, my roommate in the Academy, unfortunately got shot and killed. So those things kind of reminded me that law enforcement wasn't what I wanted to do long term. Yeah. And I, I wouldn't trade that time for anything. The training that I got in the Academy, the training I got in the field, how it made me a better hunter and fisherman. I think that alone is invaluable. So like when I was a wildlife trooper, I would, I could, I could check 20 to 50 people every day I was in the field, whether it was fishing or hunting. And I could see how all those people were doing what they were doing differently, whether it was fishing or if if they were sheep hunting or moose hunting, just seeing like the tools they used and the packs and gear that they had and the methods they were using to either be successful or not successful allowed me to kind of just implement really what I thought was smart or what was and and not and avoid what I saw was, was a bad idea. Um, and really build my experience off of other people. So I could use um, the successes of others and the failures of others to really hone my skill as a fisherman and, and honestly more so as a hunter. Yeah. I think as with fishing, I was, I felt like I was pretty proficient with, with fly fishing. Right. But um, didn't grow up hunting. I, I grew up fishing, but didn't grow up hunting and, uh, and was, was really self-taught with that and a few friends definitely help. But, uh, as some people who, um, are listening might understand, like, I think hunting, a lot of people won't take you or won't teach you. It's something you got to learn by yourself. Very tight lipped, very tight lipped. Yeah. Not only with locations, but like just methods and how, how you do stuff. Yeah. So I I feel like up here, people don't, people just won't tell you, you know, they're like, Oh yeah, you want to go hunt? That's cool. Yeah, you should go for it. You know, but they won't like actually tell you anything. Yeah. But down south, especially with ducks, if you say something like, "Yeah, I want to start duck hunting," people just all of a sudden just 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 rip you shreds. <laughs> it's like it's so militant. It's like really. Yeah, you know where you could go duck hunting is like the parking lot of Walmart. I mean, they just start yelling at you. you know? It's just like what? It's super. Oh, it's funny. like a different. It's the same, but it's just it's very intense. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, look, dude, I'm not trying to take your duck hole. Man, yeah, I mean, especially with sheep hunting. Yeah, somebody like, oh, that's awesome. Where'd you get that ram? North. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, okay, you sound like a fun person to hang out with at a party. Yeah. Well, I mean, after after learning all that and like really learning to be a better outdoorsman through my time as a wildlife trooper and becoming an successful, a successful sheep hunter. And I really understand now that why people have a, an area where they don't want to have other people. Cause if, right. if there's an one other hunter there, you might kind of blow out the area. Yeah. And if the word spreads, you can really change right. if that area, one so. guy tells us exactly. Friends, yeah. So I've, I've had a lot of success sheep hunting and I keep it pretty tight. Yeah. So where exactly have you killed each sheep? <laughs> north <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> all right thanks for listening to the double home podcast but yeah so uh yeah that i think just spending the time with people i never met before checking their uh fishing and hunting licenses and just having a normal conversation and just getting to know them briefly in that that short amount of time i was able to, to learn a lot yeah yeah so when did you and ben start 
going on your fishing excursions? So uh, Ben and I met at State Farm, and uh, was it? Did you get hired in the springtime? Uh, yeah. Well, I guess it would have been probably uh, like February. So okay. Kind of late winter. Yeah, we we fished a little bit. We didn't, we didn't fish a whole lot together. No, maybe maybe like once or twice that first year. We've gone fishing a couple times, mainly like peak season, you know, here and there throughout the years. But, um, yeah, we I think only one time I can remember, only because of how horrible it was. And that that day sticks out <laughs> so vividly in my mind. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was a coworker. Coworker's name was Justin. Yeah, and just <laughs> I mean, there's no way. He's yeah, I was just it. trying to. I was just trying to wait and see if oh. uh, if uh, Jake said his actual name. It's like let's just make up a name like Justin. <laughs> I hope he's listening. Um, That'd be awesome. I mean, how many months did he talk up this spot? <laughs> like, I don't know. I guess the entire time I'd known him. I mean, I I got yeah. there and I uh, day two or three, I was like, oh yeah, like fishing, and then all of a sudden he's like. He he was. Uh, we're really getting specific on who he, this like, guy is. He like brought you into the corner, like, dude. Well, he's British, okay. okay. So yeah, oh, so great. pretty much <laughs> now you know who he is because he's the only British guy in Anchorage named Justin. So yeah, Justin, I'm so sorry. We're about to dog you out, dude. Um, there's no way he listens to this though. No way. No one listens. To this. <laughs> uh, uh, we're really just doing this for our guests, just to make you guys feel good. Uh, anyways, so. So he he starts telling us like that he and this guy for like I don't know years I mean he was talking about like decades like oh for the last fifteen years we go down he always did that like like talking about pulling salmon out of the river he'd be like we go catch our limit he's like super easy you know he's like we walk in that so he's talking about salmon yeah yeah silver silver salmon specifically okay yeah it was the best spot in the entire world oh yeah yeah the universe there is no greater place yeah yeah. And it just so happened to be like right, kind of a short walk off the highway, off the turning an arm. You, we we can name we can spot drop this place because it ain't worth it. I don't even know what it's called. I don't know, but it's you can walk. Uh, so anyway, so so why don't you tell them about? So well, I'll tell you one detail real quick, and then I'll let you take over. So we park, okay? And he's like, "There's," he's like, "This is kind of a, a lot of bears in here," and it was <laughs> like a sketchy place to be walking through. Uh, ended up being but he hands me a gun and no i mean i didn't really know anything then because i'm like new to alaska and i was like all right so i strap up dude this gun would have gotten me into way more trouble than it was worth it's like a little nine millimeter like subcompact oh my run into a brown bear that's just like gonna get me killed asking for it yeah that was just like that was smart by him though it's probably just him giving you that gun to draw attention exactly just annoy the bear so he goes at you yeah yeah, so that once we get to the spot, which was kind of a pain to get to, but it was uh, um, it was basically just this really calm, clear pool with fish in it. Not a whole lot, but it's probably like, by the time we got there, it was like two in the afternoon, so the sun's been beating on these fish all day long. Oh, and it was very warm. And they want nothing to do with you or your shadow. And so, like, you're chasing fish all over the place. And, the, like, the only time I like to fish silvers in still water like that is top water. Like, pink polywogs was so fun to t- catch uh, silvers on that. It's like yeah. shark week. But um, 
Yeah, so Justin tries to. I'll let you continue. From okay. Here. <laughs> so basically, we walk through. It becomes clear quickly. Okay. We're walking down these trade tracks, and he's like, I thought we turn right here. But there is not like a path or anything. He just says, let's turn. And it quickly becomes evident. This man has zero idea, like, where he's going. He just knows that there's, like, he knows the spot he wants to get to, has no idea how to get there. Uh-huh. He just knows, I'm going to walk this way. Oh, we're you so know? lost. He and just kept saying, insisting we weren't lost. Just bushwhacking. But Jake just keeps turning around and just giving me these looks like, this is so ridiculous. <laughs> and it was just like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe we're doing this right now. And he's just literally just like oh, somewhere in here, you know. And he's like going through the <laughs> going through the alders, and there's like big beds and stuff, like all these moose beds and stuff. And I'm sitting here with this nine millimeter, like walk around. It's like it's tight in here. And then Jake, I think at one point, turns around. And he's like, "Yeah, this looks like a lot of bear scat and stuff." It's like this is kind of weird. And then, uh, and we finally get there. Yeah. So Justin had uh, been talking up this place for a while. Yeah. So we get there. I'm pumped because I'm like, I got my eight weight. I'm ready to catch some some salmon. This is like really gonna be like some of the first fish of the year for me, and um, and so we get out there, and I think we have like a bait caster or something, like some sort of spinning rod with like a mono on it. Yeah. And he definitely was snagging these fish totally illegally, <laughs> just ripping just lips, just trying to throws snag this vibrex in there, and it's just like. Gah! just ripping it as fast as he can across this little 20 foot pool and uh uh, and he he hooks one first cast and i he comes tight on it and immediately pop line just breaks and i kid you not okay we've been there for like 80 seconds i mean it's like nothing like less than two minutes yeah he goes oh this line's dry rotted all right better pack it up oh yeah (laughs) just gave up wasn't prepared at all. Literally serious? immediately. And I was like, let me take a couple. I think I cast like seven or eight times. And then it was like. But I mean, the truth is, I think Jake and I were both like, this is so I had zero ridiculous. expectations. I was, I was like, like, I'm not even going to cast. I'm not snagging just, fish. This let's is dumb. just go. <laughs> and we walked all the way back through the woods and or through the alders. And so what was that drive back home like? Was it was pretty quiet. <laughs> pretty quiet. Yeah, it was quiet. Yeah, it was pretty quiet. I think Justin was just trying to be like, see, I told you there were so many fish. I don't know. It was so much better back in the day. You should have been there. Yeah, 15 years so ago. did you have yeah. any better, more successful experiences? With Justin? Never. No, I wouldn't go fishing with him. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean. We went to Willow Creek. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we did. Us three and Caleb, right? Was there anyone else there? I don't think we caught anything that trip. Yeah, it was rough. That well, was, Caleb, I think that was the trip. Didn't Caleb? Well, catch he he a caught rainbow? a big rainbow yeah. for Willow Before we got Creek. There That's right. Remember that? Yeah, I mean, it was like a twenty-six incher, which is pretty big for that creek. But uh, I just remember those two drunk guys coming up to us that night. You remember that? I remember that. Yeah. Hey, can we chill by the fire with you guys? Oh man. Yeah. That was yeah. rough. I was half expecting them to be gone the next morning. Just fell in the water. <laughs> Floated yeah. down the Sioux. The year after that, Eric and I went back to Willow Creek and actually took my dad. Yeah. And there were so many fish. Really? Oh, man. I mean, we caught... I caught one that was pretty... They were all so chunky. Mm-hmm. I caught one that may have been like 18 inches, but just like a football mm-hmm. for that river. And uh, so it was fun, but man, that single trip just caused us so much heartache this past year because yeah. we, we went like five or six times and got skunked Not every that time. Not many times, oh, but sucks. 
It felt like that. We didn't go that many times, but we went a couple times. Three or four. Three times. Maybe. Well, you caught one small. Six-incher. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so, uh, so you were at State Farm for a little while and then ended up leaving to get your pilot's license. So we have arrived. Yeah. Back where we tried to go immediately. Um, so you went par 61. Yeah. Who'd you go with? I went with uh, two different outfits. Arctic Flyers at Lake Hood. Rick and Heidi Roos ended up getting my private pilot's license there. And you were flying a Cub? No. I, man, that had been kind of fun. But I was in a 152 and oh, a 172. I, d- I took my check right in the 152. Really? Yeah. What, and What made you do that? It was cheaper. It was a lot cheaper than one seventy two. Yeah, I didn't fit too well in it. It doesn't. It's not great for tall yeah, people. Yeah, I never even tried. Yeah, you shouldn't. That's, that's the plan I'm trying to go for. If I yeah. ever finish my private. Yeah. Yeah. Arctic Flyers was great. It was. Uh, it it usually takes people, I think, a little longer to finish their private there or any rating. But um, I was really motivated. I wasn't working at the time, so my full time job was to get my license. So I got my private there. I took a month and a half off for some sheep hunting and then I ended up just going to Arizona and flying with Angel Aviation, who also has a school at Merrill Field up here. Mm-hmm. And I went to their Phoenix location and lived in a truck camper for a couple months and got my instrument rating and my multi engine commercial and then came back up here and knocked out my single engine commercial as an add on. So my initial was a multi. So let me ask you this. How many hours were you at when you uh, got your private? Like my check ride? How many hours? Like 51. That's pretty good. Something like that. Pretty good. Um, I think I was at like 68. Yeah. It's a little further along. I think all of it doesn't, I mean, as long as you get it, it doesn't matter how many hours you have. I mean, I've heard some people like at 150. Yeah. Like a lot. But then there's other guys that get it like right at 41. It's like, wow. Yeah. I mean, you're going to build the time anyways. Yeah. So Sweet. So what'd you, what were you flying uh, when you were down at Angel? 172 for a lot of it? It was 172 for all the single engine stuff, and then the multi was a Piper Seneca. Nice. It's pretty standard, I feel like. Yeah. Seneca was a great plane. Yeah. Yeah. I was looking at Angel up here the other day because I think next year I'm going to try to get my instrument and my commercial done and um, looking at their Seneca. It's not really cheap. Oh, it's so expensive. <laughs> but... How many hours did you have when you finished all your ratings? I was right at 250, I think. Okay. Yeah, I was right at 250. Um, so then... Forgetting my multi-engine commercial. What uh, job did you get right after that? It was really hard to get a flying job right away. What? I, you mean you don't just get 250 hours and I mean, then... You're not getting... Uh, they don't hire, There's not people lined up? <laughs> it's like when you draw a hunting permit up here that's pretty rare. You start getting things in the mail from guides and... and <laughs> And outfitters, that, and no, when you finish your ratings, you do not get approached by companies. Which is companies. like you so funny because really... I feel like everyone says there's like a huge shortage of pilots, but then it's so hard to like get started in the aviation industry. It it's basically like. like, man, we really need pilots, but it, we don't need you. Yeah, it's that 250 <laughs> hour to, I mean, 500,000 hour pilot that has a tough time finding a job. Yeah. Um, it's really, it's getting that first job. That's really hard. It took me eight months, about eight months. I, Really tried to get on with Ace. I tried to get on with Hagland, uh, Grant, Ryanair, all of them. I really tried. And I just, when you have 250 hours, there's a thousand other 250 hour pilots trying to do the same thing. Yeah. So thankfully, I was able to get on with Hagland. And the way I, I got on there was as a project pilot. 
and that was um, basically I worked in the office with the with flight ops, helping the chief pilot, director of training with ground schools and routing manuals and things like that, and also interviewing for the ground school that I was going to be in in December, and just worked in the office for three months, and then I got a ground school, went right seat in a caravan for two months, and that was in Kotzebue, and so it was middle of winter, it was January, February, and it was great. As a 250 hour pilot, you like don't ever want to get close to a cloud. And then you get hired as a right seat and then an IFR operation and you're a lot of IFR icing and you are, it's a little uncomfortable at first. Um, it's completely safe and illegal, but from what you're trained to do and that environment and going into a working environment was a transition. Yeah. And it was a great transition being kind of thrust into it two weeks on two weeks off in the caravan caravan's an incredible airplane oh yeah hates ice not the best in ice it's got a really big wing but um can can definitely do it it's a great plane and then uh was lucky enough to get moved over to the 1900 with Hagland, and i was in anchorage gnome uh did a couple stints in barrow and fairbanks and uh Went to and eventually went to the 207 out of Bethel and did some training in St. Mary's and had a lot of fun flying the 207 briefly, but then COVID happened and the company went bankrupt and everybody lost their jobs. (laughs) So, the 207, were you flying single pilot? That was single pilot, yeah. So, that's cool. So, you were kind of like stepping out on your own again. When you flew uh, right seat, was it kind of like the airlines where you're like the flying pilot for that, that leg or? Yeah, so both for Hagelin and Ace, who I currently work for, they do. Typically, it's every other leg, like pilot flying, pilot not flying. Mm-hmm. So the pilot not flying just does radios and that kind of stuff, and yeah, other workload stuff. Yeah, yeah, I got the chance to fly a caravan uh, a couple nights ago, and um, I didn't fly most of the flight; I just flew a little bit of it, not basically our descent, but. Um, I was shocked at how, like, when you're coming in on final, especially if you're you're kind of dropping in, that thing hits the brakes when you pull the power back and oh, like yeah. start dropping flaps. And I was like going, pulling against my seatbelt. I was like, wow. Yeah, if you put the prop forward and put flaps in and pull the power back, yeah, it's a it's a big break. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it was pretty shocking, um, but super fun. And then I got a chance the next night to fly a 206 for a little over an hour, which is a, such a great plane. I guess a lot like a 207, just a little bit shorter yeah. frame. And man, dude, that plane flew just like a sweetheart. I'd love to own a 206. Beautiful. Yeah, I would like to one day just like fly a 206 for a year or two, just by myself, just <laughs> carrying around. Here's your groceries. Yeah, that would be super fun. Well, that's cool. So, so now you're back in the right seat of a 1900. Yep. And uh, so, what's that? What is that plane like? Like to fly? Oh, it's a it's a sports car. It's really fast. Really? What do you? What's yeah. your average cruise? Um, I mean, it depends on our altitude, but yeah, probably I don't know. Indicated's like 180, and then uh, depending on the winds, like I think the fastest I've ever seen ground speed was 400 knots. Really. Dang. Yes. Yeah. Like a killer tailwind. <laughs> yeah. So you're indicated, and it's it's all different with altitude, but yeah. um, yeah, we're it's it's great. It's really capable. So super high, you can you're booking the, it. Yeah. It's yeah. With, with uh, so going to catch a can. Like in the morning, I wake up at one thirty. I go to work at two thirty. We try to take off by three. Uh huh. 
And I can, it takes us two and a half to three hours to get to Ketchikan. And how many um, miles is that? Uh, 600 and something nautical miles. Okay. Yeah, I'd have to look at it. But yeah, I mean, nothing near a jet, but right. But way I mean, faster than your 172. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, and are you flying freight or passengers or both? Right now, I'm all, all, all freight. Yeah, imagine not too many passengers want to be loading up at two in the morning so what do you think of the industry so far is this more of a career job you can see yourself doing for a long time absolutely yeah i'll be a pilot for the rest of my career working life yeah what makes you love it so much i think i've always loved aviation my dad was a private pilot so he'd take us flying when we were little kids and uh just always been obsessed with airplanes and i think the the i think the pressure to go to college and the pressure to do something normal, um, like outweighed my de- like motivation or determination to be a pilot. So I didn't do it when I was younger, even though I really wanted to. Yeah. And I think just doing all the different things in my life and how certain decisions led to other, other experiences, it just made me see like, okay, I really want to be a pilot. And things I like about being a pilot is I can, I have pretty much full control of what I'm doing. I can, I can, I can, I can choose what I'm going to do with the plane. I can choose if I'm going to take off. I can choose where I land typically. Um, I don't have to fly every day. I can choose not to go because weather's bad. I I like that. I don't have to deal with, um, the law enforcement stuff. Like, um, I think with sales from state farm and doing law enforcement, I'm kind of sick of dealing with people. Yeah. And I wanted a career that I loved that I didn't have to, always just kind of put on that face like smile and just right. I just wanted to do my job and go home and when I go home I don't have to worry about it so uh flying is just something that's really easy it's come like all the knowledge is really tough but with that and the ex- the proficiency that comes with time and the joy of what you see out the window and the challenges of flying and landing and and every because it's all different. Even yeah. though you're sitting in the same seat, flying the same airplane, every day looks different. So where do you want to end up? At first, I didn't really know. When I was working at Hagland, I was really enjoying that Bush 135 operation and really liked that. But then they went bankrupt with COVID, and we didn't have a union, and we know we didn't get things that were promised to us, and it just wasn't. Uh, was not a good experience for anybody. It was pretty traumatic. So I think through that, I, I learned that I want to do all the fun flying for the most part on my free time. So with that, I want to, I will, I eventually want to wake, uh, or I eventually want to end up at a airline. Okay. So Alaska, FedEx, UPS, Delta, American Southwest, something with a union. Right. Um, because of what what I went through, I think a union would be great. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't always think that, but after the bankruptcy, I think flying for a big airline and then having the time and and uh, be able to afford my own airplane mm-hmm. would be perfect. What's like the hour threshold for one of those big airlines? I I know they like you to have a thousand hours of twin turbine PIC, okay. and that's I haven't upgraded yet at Ace, so I'm still co-pilot. With uh, with all the transition, I kind of had to start over again. Hopefully, I'm going to upgrade in the, within the next six months. I'm at 2,200-something hours now. Okay. And I think a lot of them have a 4,000-hour threshold, 1,000 PIC, twin turbine. 
but they're all different. And the four-year degree is a is a requirement for some, and and is a not necessarily a requirement, but they like you to have a four-year degree. Yeah, it's preferred. Oh, and going going back to that, I I uh, got my four-year degree through Liberty University online. Oh, okay. And all the things that that I've accomplished and I've gone through with with guiding and the troopers and State Farm and flying, like I couldn't have done that with like the help from other people. Yeah, and I feel like once you, uh, at least from what I've heard, once you get into an airline spot, you know, say you get picked up by Southwest, well, it's super hard to like leave that, you know, because you're giving up. Well, Southwest is a bad example because I guess they don't. There's kind of weird, but say you get hired with Delta, you don't want to give up your seniority, you know. If you're there for like three, four, five years, you upgrade eventually to captain. Well, it's like. Then you want to go do something else like, man, you know, I've always wanted to try to do this or that. So many people don't want to leave, you know, but to give it the seniority. So it's cool that you got to experience all these different things. Oh, yeah. On your way there. So you're not like thinking, wonder if I would have been happier as a fly fishing guide, you know, right. Making $18,000 in a, a year. Yeah. Know? Even though I'm, I'm 32, I feel like I've had a lifetime of experiences and I'm really thankful for it. I yeah. wish I was in a. Wish I was younger and in an airline already, but I, I wouldn't trade all the things I've done for anything. It's crazy. It just seems like it takes forever to like get into one of those big airline jobs. It seems like it, but time will pass either way. Yeah. True. Yeah. 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 I want to get to that's my true. forever job as quick as I possibly can. Yeah. Money, 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 money. <laughs> I feel like that's a big <laughs> millennial thing. It's just like being impatient and wanting to have your career job right away. At least that's how I am. Yeah. I feel like, uh, I feel like that's how you are too. Maybe. Yeah. One, one of the things in our generation though, that I feel like is very common is that people typically find a job and then they're just like, I don't know this job. I just don't, I'm not super happy. This is not fulfilling, you know, this thing. But then you talk to people that now are like in their eighties, uh, especially like some people I've talked to, like, in like the deep South, you know? And it's like, well, you know, they're like, well, we lived in Louisiana for five years. Well, what, what were you doing in Louisiana? Why'd you go there? And then they'd be like, we were looking for work. It's like, you had to go three States to find a job. It's yeah. Like, that's crazy. They're like, yeah, it was the only job I could get as a, yeah, we're lucky. Something totally random. You know, it was like, yeah, I got this job on this oyster boat or something. And it was like, it wasn't like they were Googling oh, oyster fishing jobs. They just right. like got that. <laughs> And then it was like, then I worked it for five years until another job opening came back closer to family and we, we moved back. But it's like, there was no, it was just like, you got a job and you work in that job as long as you possibly could to just provide. I know. But now we're just kind of spoiled. We're so soft today though. Just America in general. We're soft. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) We are, dude. Uh, My captain the other day said something that was really cool. I actually wrote it down. Uh, he said, uh, th- I forget what this, where this quote came from, but he said, hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men. And weak men create hard times. Mm. So, like, I no idea which one we're in right now, but I kind of wonder. I think <laughs> I think we're the weak. The I weak. think Yeah, I think we're weak men, and hard times are probably <laughs> around the corner is what it seems like. Of course, like this we're... past year has been kind of like a hard time. Yeah. Oh, this past year is crazy. (laughs) A lot of people had a really hard time. Yeah. Um, All right. So some rapid fire questions for you. 
you can only own one airplane in Alaska as your personal airplane. What what is it going to be? 180. Okay. 180. Yeah, an early model lighter 180. Sweet. You don't have to be too specific, but what is your favorite river to fish on the road system in Alaska? Oh man, road system that just changes it all. Uh I wish you would have been like, what's that one Justin took us to? <laughs> <laughs> you want to say that again? <laughs> I think my favorite river to fish on the road system is probably the just the Russian. I yeah. I grew up fishing the Russian as a little kid, and kind of that that's where I cut my teeth on fly fishing and rainbows and fly and just it's just a ridiculous just river. learning. <laughs> and it's it's a great river to learn on because it's not one the fish aren't picky, right? Yeah, which is. I loved it. Like, like unbelievable though. Yeah, because they get hammered. I know. I mean, not as much as places in the lower forty-eight, but right? They really do, especially Jeez. now. When it's I was like, a kid, it, it did not get hammered. No one really fished for rainbows there. It was most like people did, but not like these days. And yeah. oh yeah, dude. So Peak like, I'd, season you can look down the river and there's you'll see like six or seven people. Yeah, I'd focus. I mean, I'd focus on everything there: dries, yeah. nymphs, um, the f- like flesh and stuff. But I, I preferred swinging leeches like small leeches in the russian was great and um it doesn't it just it's not doesn't fish like it used to unfortunately yeah all right so you can only pick one fly rod spay or single hand one fly rod it's the only one you'll be able to use from now on sage tcx 7126 it's also called the death star (laughs) (laughs) 7126 uh, spay rod it's a seven weight spay rod yeah all right yeah so it's a 12 and a half foot sparrow? Yep. Nice. I just bought a 12 and a half foot. Maybe, no, I bought an 11 and a half foot switch rod. Nice. Yeah. I used it once. Hooked up. I, I just got a, I think it's a three weight switch rod. Oh, really? Yeah, really light for like fishing the Russian and small rivers. And I've fished it a couple times and it's incredibly fun. Yeah. I think mine's a, a six weight. My wife was saying the other day, why do men always like have to, all their purchases are just these huge, expensive purchases? I have so many hobbies that are so expensive. I know, it's like, I don't know, it's a good question, but that's very true. Men, all their gear, everything we want is always like pretty expensive. I think it's like just marketing. I know. It's probably like those like fly rods, you know, you pay several hundred dollars for them. I wonder how much. Well, that's why you become a guide for like. one season and buy it all in a pro deal for <laughs> the rest of your life. That's right. Uh, yeah. And then, but that hurts though. Once they, that thing goes yeah, away. I miss that. <laughs> I really miss that. I should never say this on air. I'm going to regret saying don't, this. Don't say it. I'm going to say it. Uh, <clears throat> never, I'm not going to get don't too specific, say, yeah, don't but say. one, there's a, there's a company that somehow I fall into the cracks with <laughs> oh, fly rod company. Uh, and every single year they just keep renewing my pro deal. So You're I just customer. constantly have it. I guess so, dude. Yeah. I use that thing a lot too. <laughs> That's probably like, why they keep That's renewing probably, it. I guess. Maybe they know hurting. you're not going to keep purchasing stuff if you don't have the deal. Yeah. Maybe they do. Hopefully they're not like, look up this guy. <laughs> See if this is us. They probably couldn't even find this podcast if no. you even look for it well no one listens we don't even post it all right what's the most rare bottle of whiskey you've ever purchased yeah, that's a great question um i think the rarest bottle of whiskey i've ever bought was uh 
this Japanese whiskey that won whiskey of the year. It's called Yamazaki 18. It was a, it was a unicorn as they call it. Yeah. Really hard to find. Was that uh three or four years ago? Yeah. Yeah. I think I remember that. I texted you about it. It was a good so. day. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever heard of Spayburn? Yeah. No, was it Spayburn or maybe? It was, oh no, Airstone. Have you heard of Airstone? No, I never have. This lady at work recommended this whiskey or the Scotch called Airstone at work because mm. it's apparently like new to the U.S. But apparently, it's going to start blowing up in a few years and become really expensive. But the only reason it's cheaper right now is because it's so new and it's just getting introduced. So <laughs> interesting. Ben really Check liked it, it though. That sounds like some marketing. Yeah. Tom Foolery right there. Hey, this is the next. It could be true thing. though. Yeah, it was actually pretty. Yeah, you liked pretty tasty. It. All right, so Jake, <clears throat> Dream Airline. I mean, you'll take anything. Obviously, they're all great, right? But Dream Airline to work for. I think Alaska Airlines. All right, and so disregard that, and because they could get a new plane, new new platform or something. So, what's your dream uh, platform you want to fly on one day? I don't think I have one. No? Are you a, are yeah. you an Airbus guy or Boeing guy? I mean, obviously Alaska's. I think I'd prefer, I've never flown a, either, but I right. think I'd prefer Boeing because it's it's not a joystick. Yeah. 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 There's a, uh, there's a podcast I listened to one time that was talking about like them building Airbus and stuff and how the first time they had like a test pilot go up, he crashed it. Well, and they were like, this is not going to work. Like, no, it's going to work. <laughs> Now people are flying them like all over the world. I heard they're really nice. Yeah. But then a lot of people are like diehard Boeing. Yeah. All right. So what about uh, if you could only shoot one caliber of rifle in Alaska as a hunter? Oh, man. We didn't talk about hunting too much on this show. One caliber of rifle. Whichever one you own. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Unless it's a 223. Yeah, I uh, so I I've uh, done most of my hunting with a 300 Winchester short mag. Yeah. Or a 308. I feel like that is a good gun and that it's like affordable and there's a lot of them out there on the market. But yeah. some people some people like get all, you know, get a little ruffled when you start talking about 308s. They're like, "You need a 300 Win mag or a 338." Yeah, I 30 ounce. They're all they all work. Yeah. Um Unless you're bear yeah. hunting, if you're, I mean, I've shot bears with a 300 uh, short mag, mm-hmm. but yeah, if you're bear hunting, bring the biggest thing you got, and shot placement's really important, right? But I, I have a 375 H and H. I've never actually shot anything with it. I don't think I've ever brought it hunting, and I'd yeah. like to, but um, yeah, most of the sheep I've shot have been, yeah. I think we've shot more sheep with a 308 than a 300. And the, I I have a lot of, a few Tikas. I don't think Tikas makes a really good rifle. Mm-hmm. It's lightweight. It's really accurate. It's inexpensive. It's affordable. But yeah, I, I think glass is also really, really important. Yeah. So a good scope. Also proficiency. A lot of people I saw when I was a wildlife trooper just weren't familiar with what they're what they had or their gear and um it's it seems like a lot of people just shoot once a year to make sure their rifles sighted in and then they go hunting and they just think they're gonna have the shot 
And I think, I mean, some people don't have time for it and it's still good right. to go out and hunt, but, uh, I mean, ethics comes into it and then right. also just being proficient. So you're not wasting your time. I've missed my fair share of sheep and other animals and whether it's archery or rifle. And I, I think a lot of it comes down to my preparedness mm-hmm. and I, you could always be more prepared. And other things happen. You got wind, you got outside influences, whether it's people or other animals. Um, I think the biggest thing to contend with when you're hunting is people. Right. Yeah. So if you could only, if you were just like, you had one more day to go on a hunt and you knew it was going to be the best hunt of your life, would you choose sheep? Absolutely. Yeah. It's like your thing. I love sheep hunting. We'll have to have you back on and then just like... Yeah, we didn't <clears> talk much about hunting this we'll time. We'll do like but... a hunting-focused episode. Yeah, I get pretty in, pretty deep into diet and gear and preparedness for sheep hunting. Yeah, you like you like like an athlete. Like get all trained up for it. Uh, I think you should always be in sheep shape. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I don't, I don't think you should prepare for one thing. for If you do it what once do a year... What do you mean by diet then? Uh, I mean, this I could go down a big rabbit hole with this, but like surface level. So, uh, yeah. So diet to maximize calories for weight. So, what kind of food I bring? Oh, I got you. Okay. Makes a huge difference, and then you got to know how you perform on that kind of food too. So if you're if you're working out super hard and you're trying to get in that sheep shape, but you haven't tried to do what you're trying to do with the diet that you're going right. to be bringing. Like it's like a lot of people bring mountain house. You, you might not be feeling your body correctly to, to do what you're demanding. So I think just again, with like being proficient with a rifle, you got to be proficient with yourself, how you're going to react at altitude and all these things. So a lot goes into sh- more than just yeah going. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a little teaser for the next time. James yeah. On. That'll, that'll make a Talk great more about dieting future episode exactly <laughs> he's like so three peanuts <laughs> i can walk a hundred yards <laughs> three peanuts i'm gonna calorie deficit <laughs> all right well jake thanks for coming on yeah thanks for having me yeah yeah it was fun I have to have you back yeah, to do great. that hunting episode sounds good all right guys well thanks for listening to the double hall podcast <laughs>